You've eaten Gotham's wealth, its spirit, but your feast is nearly over. This is not my hole. It's an operating table. And I'm the surgeon. Why aren't you laughing? From this moment on, none of you are safe. Welcome to the Batman Book Club, a podcast exploring the Dark Knight Library. I'm your host, Ryan Lauer. The Batman Book Club is a proud member of the Batman Podcast Network, hosted by Batman on Film. Just go to batmanonfilm.com, click on podcasts, and you'll find the Batman Podcast Network that's full of a variety of other Bat-related shows that also love to dive into other nerdy subjects we all love to frolic about in our free time. The Batman Book Club is also on Patreon. If you like what's going on with the show and want to help keep the generators running in the Wayne Manor study, just go to patreon.com slash the Batman BC. Now, thank you for listening to episode 100. Yes, triple digits, a milestone. Uh, I had to go big here. And so I did. Lieber Mayo. Yes. If you're listening, you like to know how big a fan I am of Bermejo's work. I've also gotten to speak to him one-on-one in person and with BOF pals, Bill Ramey and Garrett Greb on the BOF podcast. Now, speaking of Bill, a huge thank you to him for helping make this episode happen. Seriously, it wouldn't have happened without the gumbo guru. And I really, really appreciate it. Now for this episode, Lee graciously accepted the invite to come on the Batman book club and talk about a Batman comic. How about that? Now, before we dive into the conversation with Lee, I wanted to let you know that we're nearly a month into spring. And the warm season will get you outside to enjoy that sunshine, but you can't fully enjoy the outdoors without the proper lawn care. And as I've been telling you now the past couple episodes, that's where my friends and sponsors at Manscaped come in. Now, Manscaped is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming, offering precision-engineered tools for your jewels. Manscaped's performance package is the ultimate men's hygiene bundle. Now, join over 4 million men worldwide, that's 8 million balls, who trust Manscaped. With 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code BATBOOK. That's B-A-T-B-O-O-K. BATBOOKED. Now, Manscaped's performance package provides a plethora of products that can fit into your own utility belt, like the Lawnmower 4.0. Now, this trimmer has a new cutting-edge blade that helps reduce accidents, is waterproof, and even provides a spotlight. You can even cut out, put a little bat on there, and you've got your own bat spotlight. Boom! I don't know how about, about you, but the toughest parts of lawn care for me are the hilly terrains. And while the Lawnmower 4.0 helped me and will help you glide along with the right blend of ease and precision to achieve a well-maintained front yard. Now, if you have some extra weeds in the nostrils that not even poison ivy would pluck, the Weed Whacker is the hero you deserve and need right now. It quickly clips in the cave with calm and comfort. And Manscaped's Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and Crop Reviver Ball Toner provide a cool, comforting relief to your downstairs. Now, trust me, it's like Mr. Freeze sent you to the cooler. So take care of yourself and your significant other with all of these products. Just go to manscaped.com, get 20% off and free worldwide shipping. Just use the code BADBOOK, B-A-T-B-O-O-K, BADBOOK. All right, you've heard enough of me. Let's get to my conversation with Lee Bermejo. And I welcome now our special guest, uh, the great storyteller himself, Lee Bermeo. Lee, thank you so much for agreeing to sit down and, and talk to me here. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yes, absolutely. So the so for the Batman Book Club, I always ask somebody the first time on, 
what is your favorite Batman story? It's tough, right? Because there's so many good, um, there's so many good stories. Mm -hmm. So I can't really say I have a favorite. It kind of goes in cycles where, um, you know, it depends on what I'm working on too, because maybe, I don't know, during Batman Damned, I was looking at um, the cults and Arkham Asylum and stuff that was a little bit more, I don't want to say supernatural, but but that was had a horror bent to it while we sure. were working on that. Whereas maybe, uh, you know, in earlier stuff, I would be looking at Dark Knight Returns or Year One, but I, I also love... Um, a lot of the stuff that was coming out, I guess that would have been nine or 10 years old, you know, late, late eighties and, and early nineties Batman stuff. So legends of the dark Knight that was coming out at the time I was, I was collecting that. And so there's stories there that I, I love like Prey, the one that I think, um, I don't know how you pronounce his name, Doug Mench or Munch or I don't know. I, I think I've it. heard him say Mench. So I just go with Mench. Sometimes I just say Doug M. People know and, who we're talking about. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and Paul Gulacy, they did this great um, series called Prey. And there was just a lot of really interesting stuff that was coming sure. out in Legends of the Dark Knight around that time. And of course, um, Norm Brayfogle was drawing the, the regular Batman book. So yeah. It was, it was a good it was a good time death in the family was kind of happening i think sometime around then so um i definitely like have a you know i have a soft spot for all that all that stuff too that's a great era that's like my my intro era uh yeah was that time period in the legends of the dark knight title i don't i still don't think people realize how many great stories are in that that title so many good stories came out of legends of the dark knight the original Yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah. It was just a great yeah. concept. It was it was out of continuity, you know, able to give people a chance to just do, you know, Batman, standalone Batman stories, which um, I wish they had a title like that now, but um, yeah. I guess there's no real need to with Black Label and other stuff, you know what I mean? But, but Yeah, uh, and I'm really, I'm really glad that you said also the name that came out of your mouth is uh, Brave Fogel because when asked, I, I may have been able to, I've gotten, I've been fortunate enough. I've gotten to talk to you before. And I, uh, I've told you that you're my, my current like favorite artist, but when anybody asks me, I always say, Oh, it's Lieber Mayo or Norm Brayfogle. Uh, Brayfogle is my intro to, to Batman. His so like, I don't know, just the way he drew Batman. I just, his art was phenomenal. I thought. He was the first comic book professional I met. He was the first guy I ever met. He, um, he was doing a store signing in, in uh, the town I grew up in. I mean, this was right around the time that um, Tim Drake was becoming the new Robin. And mm -hmm. so Neil Adams had designed the new Robin suit. And Norm Brakefogel did, did this signing at the local comic shop. And he brought all these photocopies of all his designs. And so he had all these alternative Robin costume designs. And um, I was so taken by these things. I remember he gave me a couple um, and I was young. I mean, I was young. I was probably 10 or 11 years old at the time. Maybe, maybe a little older than that. I, 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 those years kind of blur together, but um, 
he was so generous and so nice and just cool. And, um, you know, I was already a big fan of his. So that, that was very, that was a good first experience for comic book professional for sure. Yeah. Wow. That's great. And how fortuitous he was your first artist you got to meet and then you became an artist yourself. So there you go. (laughs) So, and before we move on to the book that we're going to talk about today, uh, I want to ask you because I probably have a feeling and um, a big shout out to our mutual friend, Bill Ramey, who helped uh, get this, make this happen. Um, And I think he may have given me a little heads up on how you felt, but how did you feel about the new Batman movie? Yeah. Oh, I loved it. I thought it was, I thought it was excellent. I mean, it was, um, most people who know me probably would have known that, uh, <laughs> after walking out of movie. Cause for years I've been banging the drum of, um, of wanting to see a Batman movie that was kind of like the crow or seven. And so yeah. <laughs> lo, lo and behold, we have a movie that pretty much, um, has that vibe and and uh it it accomplished a lot of things that um i really wanted to see in in a batman film for for a long time and and i'm a a fan of all the iterations and that's not uh the political answer it's just there's there's elements of every movie version that they've done almost Mm -hmm. (laughs) <laughs> yeah <laughs> that, I, that I like and there's also stuff I have a real big problem with you know I've been I've, I've said this a million times um I think Christopher Nolan did excellent excellent movies but um I'm not a fan of the visual aspect of those films at all so I don't like the cinematography I'm not a fan of the suit I'm not you know there's a lot about those movies that um I I, I didn't like at the time they came out and and uh but he did a lot of other things amazingly well with those with those movies, and in much the same way, all the other iterations have you know things that I love and other things that I love a lot less. Yeah. <laughs> so um, this movie, I think, more than any any of the other any of the other films, captured a type of Batman that I really like to see, which is um, a very fallible Batman, a very human human Batman. And um, uh, I love the fact that the, um, the, the universe of this Gotham city feels um, so, so real, but yet stylized at the same time that that strikes a very difficult balance, you know, Burton, I love the aesthetic of Burton's movies, but they're very stylized, you know, they're, they're, um, and, and I love that about them but they lose an element of reality, you know, and, sure. and the, Bur- and the Burton Batman's specifically, but like Batman returns, which I think is a phenomenal, it's a weird, creepy film. And I, and I love it, but I think that it's not really a Batman movie to me. It's more, it's a Tim Burton movie and it's through his lens that we get to see these, these characters. Um, but this movie also had, I think, some of the best cinematography I've seen in recent years. I mean, it's yeah. just work that Greg Frazier did was just incredible. And the production design was phenomenal. Um, obviously, I'm a, I'm a big fan of the, the suit. <laughs> it, it, um, <laughs> I'm a big fan of, of, the, of the suit. And um, I just like the choices that, that Reeves made and, and the fact that it was kind of a slow burn movie that um 
wasn't afraid to kind of take its time and, and be a little darker and, and uh, also, you know, uh, juggle, juggle a lot of um, a plot, you know, yeah. which Batman movies don't tend to do, you know, outside of maybe the Dark Knight, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They, they don't tend to want to juggle a lot of um, plot points. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I really liked it. I thought it was phenomenal. Awesome. Anybody who's been in the in the area of Batman on film, I think, gets the gist that we feel the same way. Everybody with, with mm-hmm. that, we all adored adored the movie, loved it. So you said that you were a big fan of the suit, and I think the uh, you did some covers, some variant covers for Batman the Imposter, in which I think the the one for book one, I think we all got a lot of. Was this meant to? maybe be a, like a cousin to the suit from the movie because i think this this made a lot of us feel like this looks kind of similar to what we've seen granted we hadn't seen the movie yet but we'd seen trailers and pictures and stuff right no i i think that was just me looking at uh andrea sorrentino's work and mm-hmm. it's i was trying to do his suit in the book which sure. i'm sure was inspired by by the film you know mm-hmm. um but um i wasn't it was me looking through the comic book and trying to do, trying to figure out what his, his approach was, you know what I mean? And, yeah. And um, so it wasn't really uh, maybe indirectly inspired by the movie, but it, it certainly wasn't my goal t- with those covers. Sure. Um, I, I see the, the suit that I draw a lot mm-hmm. more in, in the movie, you know, I, I see oh, yeah. that being closer to the, closer to the, to the movie, um, you know, for sure. And there's, you know, I think um, a lot of visual, visual, uh, the movie, the movie had a lot of, of um, its visual aesthetic that I, I felt like was very um, uh, close to what I like to see and what I try to accomplish in, in my Batman work, you know, so yeah. maybe, maybe it's also the case of shit, like I said, shared influences and um, I know that my my work has been extremely extremely influenced by Darius Kondry, who is the um, he's the cinematographer. He did City of Lost Children, and he did Seven. He shot Seven. He's um, he he's been a, a guy whose visual uh, aesthetic I've been following since I was you know uh, in my late teens, cool. and so um, that influence kind of comes through in my work and obviously this movie is influenced a lot by seven and by that aesthetic so mm-hmm. you're kind of starting to see some very similar um inspirations kind of converging here and, and i think that's why so many people have um have made that kind of connection sure you know yeah yeah that, that makes total sense and uh, we've just deduced why we're thinking <laughs> what we're thinking whereas <laughs> Your variant for Batman 121 seems to be a direct uh, homage, if you will, to the Batman, um, which I think that this. Oh, yeah. Was... Wow. That looks great. Well done. Yeah. <laughs> That's supposed to be Robert Pattinson. I mean, that was the point of that yeah. job. I mean, those var- those variants were supposed to be Robert Pattinson. So it wasn't like, um, yeah, it wasn't like uh, uh, I was trying to do something inspired by the film that was very much the, me doing a, a film image was that uh cool for you when you were asked to do a variant and you got to do it on a suit that you that you flat out that you really liked 
Yeah. Yeah. It was, um, it, it was cool to get kind of like the assets package for the movie, which are essentially all these kind of behind the scenes photos. Oh, cool. And uh, at that point I had seen, I guess I had seen the first trailer. So I, I kind of knew what they were going for, but um, you know, being able to kind of see a lot more of the concept art and see a lot more of the behind the scenes kind of, kind of stuff and get a real idea of what they were doing with the movie. That was my first real indication of like, oh, well, this is right up my alley. I mean, I can easily do something, you know, do something in this, that fits in this world. So um, it, was, it was a pleasure. That's very cool. Uh, all right. Well, let's just move on from the Batman to more talk of the Batman and specifically a book that you and I are going to talk about, uh, Arkham Asylum, a serious house on serious earth. Now, I some quick background on it, as many listeners know already, it was released in 1989, uh, written by Grant Morrison, illustrated by Dave McKean. It's been collected in, uh, in hardcovers and some trade paperbacks, an absolute edition. It's available digitally. Uh, when I reached out to you uh, and asked if you'd like to talk about a, a book, you and you, this was the there wasn't a lot of back and forth. You said Arkham Asylum. Is that cool? So yeah. why does this book uh, why did this one come to mind to you? I think this was the first Batman book, first comic book that I read that I remember having a real emotional impact on me outside of just the excitement that comics, reading comics could bring, you know, it really stuck with me. I, I, um, I got this the year it came out. And so uh, that would make me 12 when, when I read Arkham Asylum for the first time. And um, it was so uh, psychological. It was, I mean, it turned my stomach at times, you know what I mean? Because it was um, unlike really any other Batman book that I'd that I'd read at, at that point in time. And it approached the character kind of in this mythic way, you know? You never really got a good look at him. You never really, he wasn't treated as anything other than this kind of um, uh, shape. You know, he was a black shape for most, for most of the book with very little information given, which made him almost wraith-like, you know? And, and yeah. he became kind of a supernatural presence. And, um, but it was the approach that I think Morrison took with all the different villains that I really, that I really liked, you know, the, um, this was coming out at the same time as, like I said, the movie, the first Burton movie. So there was kind of this, this, um, uh, version of the Joker that I had, been familiar with from the, the TV show, you know, the 66 TV show. So the Cesar Romero Joker. And then there was this Jack Nicholson Joker and obviously all the jokers from the comics, Killing Joke and stuff like that. But this Joker was the first one to really scare me. And really this Joker really, you know, I, I can remember at the time flipping through pages and seeing some close-ups of, you know, some of those amazing close-ups of his face. And it was like, whoa, this is just unlike anything. Uh, I, I'd experienced and I guess it didn't really hit home until years later but um, it, it was also part of this whole group of painted comics that were coming out at the time mm -hmm. that um, 
you know, as a kid, I was just reading them and enjoying them, but also starting to become very aware of the artwork of the art of these books. And the fact that this was so interesting and unique visually, it was, it was like, oh, you can do this with comics, <laughs> you know? Um, and I think that's been something that's kind of st stuck with me through my ent entire career. So that was a long-winded uh, way of, <laughs> of giving you an answer. But, you know, <laughs> there you go. Was, no, that's, uh, that's fine. That's either. great. Cause I mean, some follow-up, some follow-up questions I was going to ask was, you know, which, uh, how old you were when you first read it and, and such. And so the first version or the version that you bought then, because I think the first version that came out was a, uh, sure. what, like an 80 page hardcover, right? Yeah. It's still in my shelf over here. Yeah. I still have that same edition that, that I, I've had for most of my, most of my life at this point. Yeah. It's, um, it, you know, it strangely also was one of those books that stayed in pretty good shape. Like yeah. I would treat, I wouldn't treat my comics very well, especially as a kid. I, I, um, you know, I, I was reading them and, and I wasn't, I, you know, I would keep them in bags and boards, but they'd be out, you know what I mean? And yeah. on my desk or whatever. And, and um, as a result over the years, if I pull out some of those older books, a lot of them are bent and, you know, they're, they're, um, they're a little damaged, but this, this, you know, you could, I can tell that I, um, kind of revered this book. You know what I mean? I treated mm -hmm. it really like, like, a like an object of importance. It's a, it's a Holy grail. I have, <laughs> I have some of those too, that there's got to take care of all of these, uh, can't treat them like I do the rest of the average stuff. Um, <laughs> I think it's, so how you said, um, so you mentioned the word, it's like a little unsettling. Uh, it maybe feels a little bit raw. And in rereading it, actually, before talking to you, I I could totally see that and to try and think of the comics that were out at the time and then how this just does stand out amongst the others. Where the others, even some mature stories, nothing looked like this at the time period. Yeah. Yeah. It it's um it's interesting looking at McKean's work now because it's gotten so impressionistic, you know, mm -hmm. and the figures have gotten um cartoonier over the years, you know. And this book being very realistic. I mean, there's some stuff in there that is is photoreal. And um, you know, like the, the shard of glass going through his hand and the blood dripping out uh, uh, underneath underneath that it's just i remember thinking at the time someone actually drew this you know someone actually was able to produce this it was a mystery to me you know like uh, and i think there's power in that when you when you do comics um there's it's awesome to be able to look at pen and ink and and work that uh, you can see the um artist's hand and and uh it's cool to see that stuff, but there's, there's also part of me that loves when I pick up a book and I'm like, how did this person do this? What is the magic trick here? You know? And that's something that Arkham Asylum does, but even, even in the writing, I think it really pulls that off. Um, I, I wouldn't consider myself a huge Grant Morrison fan. <laughs> I, I, I enjoy his work and um, 
specifically the work he was doing at the time, I really am a, a big fan of, you know, the, that some of that earlier Doom Patrol stuff and, and Animal Man and, and Arkham Asylum, this kind of stuff I thought was in, incredible. And you can really see Grant Morrison, like a hungry, young Grant Morrison with this book, you know? And there are some turns in the story that um, like specifically, uh, one of the things I, I always talk about is when Arkham comes home and finds his family murdered, you know, and there's that scene where he's like, I can't find my daughter. And he's like, and then I look at the dollhouse and the dollhouse looks at me. And it's, there's that, the way they handled the violence of that scene was um, number one, so kind of tasteful, you know, like they don't show yeah. you anything that is disgusting or, or, um, or turns you off. It's just unsettling. And yeah. just the way he was able to, the, the words and pictures, the way they were able to achieve that really, um, that moment in story is, is crushing, you know, because you've gotten to kind of like this character and, and, um, and you realize at that point that there's no turning back, you know what I mean? And, and, it, and, and it mirrors also Batman's kind of sanity slipping away as well. And um, I remember when Brian, when Brian and Azrael and I were talking about Damned and we were talking about this kind of weird effect we wanted to achieve with the book that you don't often see in comics, but almost never in Batman books, which is um, this David Lynchian kind of, of moments where you're, you almost feel like you're inside of a nightmare or something like that. You know, you, you feel like, uh oh, it says my internet connection is unstable. I hope we don't lose this. But um, yeah, it just, it, it's hard to pull off in comic books because comic books are so, they don't have uh, sound and they don't have, um, you know, uh, inflections and things to, to enable you to really uh, fall into those moments, some of those weirder moments, you know? And so you have to find visual cues that are very powerful that kind of take people there. And so that's where a lot of that imagery and dam came from of the beating heart, you know, the, at the bat wings and the beating heart and the bat staple to the chest, all that kind of stuff were these moments where it really, I was really thinking of Arkham Asylum in those moments and some of the imagery that McKean was able to, uh, uh, to create in that book that, you know, it's just, it, it, it hits you on various levels. On the story level, it hits you. On an emotional level, it hits you. But then it's all, it almost can just be taken out of that book and put on the wall mm -hmm. and enjoy it as almost like as a single image without anything else. And um, it's, that's very hard, hard to do, I think. So the fact that McKean was able to pull that off so young. I don't know how old he was when he, when he did that book, but it was, you know, one of his first books and, and uh, it's staggering how good it is. That, so I have a, oh, wow. So I've got a lot to, to interject uh, here. So it's funny because when I wasn't going to uh, say in the email and talking to you, but I had a feeling that you were going to choose Arkham Asylum. Because in the uh, DC's Art of Libra Mayo book, I think one of the questions was the uh, 
Batman stories influenced you the most. And you'd mentioned year one and Dark Knight Returns, but then you brought up the scene that you just talked about in Arkham Asylum of the the dollhouse scene. Yeah. And I remember in reading yeah. reading that, reading the book uh about your art and that question sticking out because that image is such a standout image. And I think for the reasons that you just listed of a lot of times it's scarier what we don't see. It's more impactful what we don't see because all of our minds just go down its own rabbit hole. Uh, no pun intended, I guess, considering the book we're talking about. But uh, we can make it so much worse. And yeah, and as you said, it was, I mean, weird considering the the scene and what's happening, but it was done tastefully. Um, it wasn't, um, I can't think of the term, Uh but I mean, it, you you get what what's happening, and it's not taking through every single aspect of what's happening. Um, and then your comment, I never I never considered that was damned. So McKean's art, it just seems has uh, in it's been very impressionable on you. I guess probably your whole uh, your career. Yeah, I I I mean the artistic goulash that kind of came together to, 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 you know, whatever, whatever the various influences that have um, really steered me over the years. I mean, I wouldn't say he's an, a powerful force in, in all of that. I think that what he was able to do was more of a feeling that I sure. like, I would hope one day to be able to achieve, you know, um, I know that I can't do what, what he does. And, and um, I'm a different artist than him. I'm a more li literal artist. I, I, I like to see pores and skin and I, I like to see texture and, and um, I, I like for things to have a really complete uh, feel to them. I think McKean and Sienkiewicz and um, some of that school of guys, Baron's story, they, they're all very good at um, giving you little pieces of information, but not giving you everything, you know, mm -hmm. they just give you enough to kind of give you a sense of what's going on. As I, as was the case here with, with Batman. I mean, I remember reading this book as a kid and thinking it was super cool, but being slightly annoyed moving through the book, just because I, you never got a good look at Batman, you know, and then finishing the book, realizing how, how much I'd never seen anything done like that before. So it immediately stood out in a way that um, nothing really had to that point. But me personally, as an artist, I, you know, I'm obsessive about that costume stuff and the look of characters and, and uh, you know, I, it's, it's, it's um, part of what I do that is really radically different than what a guy like Dave McKean does, yeah. you know. So um, it's funny how you mentioned that about Grant Morrison earlier, because I sometimes uh, can get a little frustrated, I think, with his writing. Uh, I totally I always respect what he's trying to do because it is trying to be ambitious and do something different. It's respectful to the character. But I know like Batman R.I.P. that that was a frustrating experience. I still don't know if I like it or not yet. <laughs> uh, with Arkham Asylum, these latest editions that they've been that they've released, they include Morrison's script in the back. And so I wanted to be ambitious and read the script. And I remember reading the script before, and I thought that maybe I got a little 
frustrated in McKean's art because I thought, oh, that's what Morrison was trying to point here. And I didn't get that. And I thought maybe I would go in and out of some of Dame McKean's art, but still confused on how I felt about mm-hmm. that, though, whether it was, oh, that's cool. And I'm kind of lost or I'm frustrated because I'm not able to put together the meaning of what's trying to go, what the point is right here. Right. It's it's kind of the, the double-edged sword of allowing people behind the curtain to, mm-hmm. to see the script, you know, or to see... Uh, I've always had kind of um, a, uh, a very conflicted relationship with, with stuff like that. Even doing the art book, um, uh, they always want to see kind of pencils or rough sketches and stuff like that. And and my attitude is, is yeah, very conflicted about how much you want to open up the hood of the car and show people yeah. that, that <laughs> engine, you know? Um, not in an effort to hide anything, but just because some of the magic can also get lost, you know? And, and when you do read scripts, um, you know, and then you see what the artist actually did and, and, and the marriage of the two visions, Sometimes, yeah, sometimes stuff changes. Sometimes you lose elements that maybe the writer wanted. Sometimes you gain elements the writer never thought of because the artist is adding another layer that, that um, changes things, you know? And, and I think that's, that's why sometimes it's cooler for me in the same way that some directors just say, hey, look, this is just the cut of the movie. You know, like there's not going to be any director's cut or behind the scenes, yeah. you know, whatever. It's just, this, this is what, this is what the movie is. And, um, and I think that's, it's the same thing with comics because, you know, I, I remember reading um, one of Alan Moore's scripts early on because uh, a colleague of mine at Wildstorm, his first gig, <laughs> his first job ever was drawing an Alan Moore story. Wow. <laughs> and and um, yeah pretty, pretty crazy, but his, he had this script, this Alan Moore script and I read it and um, the script is so dense. I mean, it's like three pages written for every page of, of comic book art, you know? And he gives paragraphs on paragraphs of information and description. And he describes scenes in a way that, um, you know, could totally fit a prose project as opposed to, to comics. And then you, you see the comic book and, and I mean, some of it is amazing, but then you, you, you really realize that it's kind of impossible for somebody to really get all that information and show you everything in the way that Moore was able to describe just being such a gifted writer, you know? Um, and that's not to knock any artists who've worked with Alan Moore. I mean, obviously you got Brian Balland who did The Killing Joke and, and Dave Gibbons and people who did this, these books that are, you know, um, industry changing, you know, in, in terms of how good they are. But, but um, reading that script was that peek behind the curtain that maybe I didn't need, need to see, you know? Yeah. It was just, it was like, no, the comic book that exists and that should exist is the one that was printed and the one that was, you know, the one that is there for you to, for you to consume. And um, what the, the what could have been or what should have been, it's, 
it's just part of that creative process. You, you win some, you lose some, you know? Yeah. 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 And I, and I totally agree with that. I, t- I find myself definitely the more I enjoy a, a project, the, m- the more I want to know behind the scenes because I do. I, it's like knowing how they did this is not going to bug me and take away now uh, how much I like it. Cause I do like it that much. And it seems stuff I don't like, I'm like I don't really care. Cause it just didn't, it didn't yeah, work yeah, for no. me, you know? I get, so I, yeah. I agree with you. I, get, <laughs> it's, I, I can't. No, sorry. Go ahead. Sorry. I was, I was just going to change it or not change the subject, but uh, you mentioned Brian Ballin, which is funny. Cause I, I don't remember where I came across, but I think I came across that Grant Morrison actually wanted Ballin for this story. And though I think I like Ballin's art more than McKean's, I don't know how, I just don't know that that, that, that works. Obviously now yeah. looking at it 30 years later, of course, but in trying to think of Ballin's art just seems very like clean and detailed. Uh, mm. And that's, that's not the story that I think Morrison was trying to write. <laughs> You know, they, they would have just been two totally different things. And probably Ballin would have done an amazing job. He's an amazing sure. artist. But, you know, they, they, the book wouldn't have been the same. It wouldn't have, uh, clearly, wouldn't have, it wouldn't have had the same effect. But um, I, I get what you're saying in terms of, of also having that curiosity when you like something. Because you obviously want to see, it's the human nature. You want to know yeah. how, how they do the magic trick. You know what I mean? And I, and, and I fight, like I said, I'm conflicted because I often fight that urge in myself where if, you know, like I said, I see McKean's work and I'm like, how did he do this? How, yeah. how did a person, <laughs> how is a person able to, to, to produce this work? You know, human hands made this. How, how, did, how is that possible? And so it's that, that's a cool friction to me. You know what I mean? That, that, ha- that desire to know more and at the same time, the, um, the the product that you're actually having in your hand, which is just this, you know, uh, uh, source of um, of magic. I guess there's no better word for it than that. I, there should be, I, but yeah. <laughs> I think that that encapsulates perfectly of this source of magic. So this story sure. as a whole. Uh, well, let's backtrack. You you brought up the Joker, and in in this uh, the script, I think what's really cool is in these versions of the script, Morrison writes annotations at the bottom of each, each page, which is a great yeah. little commentary for his work. And one of the things he mentions was, uh, I think it was the, the pencil scene at the beginning, uh, hearing about the pencil through the, through the eye uh, mm-hmm. of the, the nurse. And we see a first glimpse of Joker. And there is a, I guess, a BBC talk show um, that they had Grant at the time of its release, Grant Morrison and Dave McKean on that show. And they also had Adam West via phone and then uh, showed somebody in the audience said that the Joker looks scary. And Morrison's comment to that was just like, no shit, sister. (laughs) (laughs) I think all of that little, and I, I love the annotations because him just adding little, you know, stories like that, but it makes me laugh of, why not would a talk, a talk show has this on and they're they're bringing in Adam West the exact opposite take as what they're talking about now to give insight and for the life of me I can't track down 
that video that it's it's nowhere to be found. So I'm taking Morrison's word that it happened, but of course he he's you know he's not making that up. But I just find that a funny little anecdote of that version. And, and yeah, <laughs> it's it's part of what it's part of what is both frustrating and amazing about these characters is all is a sense of history is is a sense of um, of all these artists that have contributed to making these characters what they are and help these help this this franchise this this creation to evolve over the years you know but at the same time you it spawns this uh, spe specifically now but I think probably you know almost since the inception it spawns this sense of of people have ideas about who these characters are in their head and they, and sometimes they become crystal clear for people, you know, for readers, for artists, it's all the same. And so it's what spawns this, well, that's not my joker, or well, that's yeah. not my Batman. You know what I mean? It spawns this idea that there is one version of these characters or a couple versions of these characters that are somehow more valid than other versions of the character, you know? And I love Cesar Romero as the mm -hmm. Joker, you know? And I love Grant Morrison's, you know, Dave McKean's Joker, you know? It's okay to, I think, enjoy the difference between some people's interpretations, but I recognize the fact that, um, that not everybody can, can really do that, you know? So you have, you have stuff like, you know, people, specifically non-comic book readers who have, you know, this idea in their head of who these, who these characters are. And, and um, I remember my uncle saw Joker, the Joker movie with Joaquin Phoenix. And he seemed to really like it. And it, we, we were talking about it and, and he mentioned the fact that it was so interesting to him that they, that he finally figured out why the Joker is, is, is the Joker, you know? And, and I remember telling him, well, not really. There's a million different theories about who the Joker is. And he doesn't, he doesn't really have one specific origin, but then at the same time, you know, you, they released this footage of, of Barry Keegan, you mm -hmm. know, this, this scene of Barry Keegan, which I thought was incredible. And um, you have all these people online going, well, did he fall into a vat of acid? Is, isn't that? And I, and I was like, for some people, that's, that's how the Joker is. That's the Joker. You know, yeah. he's a guy who fell into a vat of, of acid and magically he came out of a vat of acid and that, and, and, you know, he's, he went insane. But that's that's part of it, where you have all these ideas about who these who these characters are um, competing with readers sometimes. You know what I mean? And competing for readers' affection and, and attention. And, and so uh, it makes doing any Batman project um, even more fun to me, but also sometimes equally frustrating <laughs> because <laughs> you're because you're, you're fighting. 80 years of history and, yeah. and multiple iterations. And there's that guy who's, who's always going to say that Joker's just, it's just disgusting. Joker should be, you know, um, Joker should be, you know, smooth and pretty or, you know, there's all yeah. these different, 
feelings about how that character should be. And so um, that's why when you see something like more like the Arkham Asylum Joker just punches you in the face because you're just like, oh, this is so, uh, this is such a unique interpretation, you know, of that, of that character. So when you when you said that about what your your uncle had said instantly makes me think the killing joke and how he says if I'm gonna have a if I'm gonna have a history I want it to be multiple choice, right? Yeah, perfect. Genius. Yeah, perfect summary of that character. And I think that can apply to to many, but the Joker like definitely that's his that's his uh, origin. There you go. It's multiple choice. So. <laughs> brilliant but you won't but you won't find people who will have read that you know they've just seen the movies maybe or they've just seen the cartoon and and so for them it's jack nicholson falling into a vat of acid and he is the joker is jack napier to them right Mm -hmm. and you're just like not not really you know you try to explain the history of the character and um people get confused very very quickly if they're not you know so take that i loved the joker movie with Joaquin Phoenix, uh, the fact of that movie is, uh, I think you don't know, and it's purposely done. You don't know whether he's telling the truth or he's making this up in his head. I, and that's a case where I don't want to know if I ever sit and talk with Todd Phillips, I do not want him to tell me what he thinks because I'm like, it's better left whichever route you want to take. That's a, a magic trick I don't want revealed. And I think that applies with the Joker for sure. Yeah. I agree. Um, I, agree. I think it's, it's tough. It's a tough thing because you have some people who really want that origin story, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, everybody's different, I guess. Everybody's yeah. got their own milkshake. Yeah. They want. <laughs> So as since we're talking about some villains, as as we go through the Arkham Asylum, uh, what was your? I guess you, we can either say your first impression, or if you want to say now, these years later of revisiting that story, what was your take on these on the villains that we see through the story? I remember as a kid something that had a it was a small moment, but it had this big impression on me because it it um, it created a sound and a scene in my head that was so eerie was that scene of the scarecrow just dragging the um, rake along the, the concrete of the, of the asylum, you know, doesn't, doesn't say anything. He just looks at Batman and he's just dragging this. I thought that was so creepy and so cool. And the, um, the take on Two-Face I, I thought was was genius as well, just in the fact they were trying to uh, broaden his horizons by giving him more choices than just two, you know? And and it really just confused him. <laughs> and, uh, it really just made his psychosis even worse, which I thought was was fantastic. It's, it, it um, yeah, it, it was, uh, you know, that the killer croc the way they handled killer croc and as kind of the dragon in the castle that had to be slayed you know all that all that stuff was 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 really was really really cool but um yeah the the villain that um got me more than any of the others though was mad dog right the the serial killer you know the serial that was he was the villain that just made me he just made me my skin crawl i guess the most so they're they're all you know amazing 
I mean, you know, amazing interpretation of the Mad Hatter scene, very trippy. And, you know, yeah. what about you? What, what, what were your. I, I'm with you. Uh, the Scarecrow, because I'm a sucker for Scarecrow. I, I love the Scarecrow. I think visually he is great. And the character with fear is great. And that image, or that page, because it's a couple different panels, but just the scraping, that always stands out to me as the, the scariest. But but there's, I think what you just hit on too, though, is uh, so we can see Scarecrow and his imagery. He looks cool. We, in Killer Croc is cool and Two-Face. That's an interesting idea. Whereas Mad Dog, it's like, no, he's not cool. He's uncomfortable. He's scary. He's like, he's disgusting. And his the the effect of that character overall in the whole story is the is maybe like the most messed up of the Arkham Asylum uh, story that Morrison wrote. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> yeah, he's the more, and and the sad thing is, is he's the most real, right? He's the most yeah. realistic of all that, because you have all these kind of comic book Batman characters, albeit done through this very twisted, dark lens. But the the worst of these characters is the more real kind of serial killer character of the story, you know. And, and um, I do think though that's something that. I really like about the book is the characters are still recognizable as who they are. You know, he, mm-hmm. he didn't, um, he didn't uh, try to make them real. You know what I mean? He, he, he Joker looks like a monster. I mean, essentially, you know, he's the elongated face that, you know, he, he really pushed two faces hair that was, you know, standing, you know, straight up and, and uh, all these visual details that took, took you out of this kind of otherwise very real, mm-hmm. you know, very real style. And that's something that's, that's always stood out to me, which is, which is like, if you do these characters, it's, it's cool to go super cartoony and exaggerated or super real, but the characters should retain, I think, that sense of who they are. You know what yeah. I mean? The moment you start distorting that too much, it, it, it to me, I, I lose my connection with them as, as these kind of, um, as these kind of ciphers, you know what I mean? Like you, you want to know uh, that you're looking at Scarecrow, for example, you know what I mean? And, and, and that was, that's another, one of the reasons why when I see Batman Begins, and I just see Jonathan Crane for most of the movie walking around like a normal dude. And then he puts on the mask. There's that part of me that goes, Oh, just take that one step further. I, I, that, that, you know, it, it was always like the, the, the comic book iconography took a, it was almost like they were embarrassed of it in those mm-hmm. moments. You know what I mean? Like took kind of a back seat to the, to the, um, to the world that, that they were trying to create. And I always wanted to see the hat and, the, yeah. you know, like I wanted to see the whole get up and, and um, you know, it's uh, it's part of the characters I think is really important to try to, is to try to hold on to that. You know what I mean? When you're, when you're doing them. I thought that Goyer had said that he, he talked, he had to talk Nolan into even Crane putting on a mask. 
I'm pretty sure I, I hope I'm not making that up. I'm pretty sure I came across that at some point and because no one was even thinking, do we need to do a mask? And Goyer, David Goyer was like, yes, we need him to put on a mask. We need him to put on the scarecrow mask. Wow. And I'm really glad he talked him into it. <laughs> yeah, the mask was cool. I mean, it was an amazing looking mask. And, and um, it was just too too bad that 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 idea wasn't carried through a little bit further. You know what I mean? It, they didn't go a little bit further, but, but I know a lot of people really like that about those movies, you know, mm -hmm. and it's something that people dig the whole, um, uh, you know, Gotham looking a little bit more like a real city. And I know that some people really, really enjoy that. I'm, I'm a person, I like to see a bit more style, you know, added yeah. to something, which is, which is, you know, uh, people complained about the Riddler in this new Batman movie. But to me, I was like, he's he's a guy in a, in a mask you know like they, they gave him a mask they gave him the green costume it was different but you know they still gave him the green costume with the question mark <laughs> I, I thought that I thought that they actually pushed it farther than in some ways than they do in the comics because in the comics he's generally just a guy in a purple suit right with question marks and and, and, a, and a hat or, you know, like if you go back to the 60s, he's wearing spandex, which I also think is super cool. I always love the Frank Gorshin portrayal of that character. But yeah, but um, but I, I enjoyed the fact that Reeves actually gave him a mask, made him his own vigilante kind of character. I thought that was a very cool uh, twist, you know, mm -hmm. and kept the comic book stylistic element. You know what I mean? That, that, that to me is it, it's important. To kind of walk that walk that line but um anyway yeah i i digress no I, I i'm with you on that and i the riddler to me and i mean i took my um my fiance to see the batman too and she she is uh my barometer for she's not as in like reading the comics or anything she goes and sees movies and that's the extent of knowledge and she goes well the riddler to me he wears green and has a question mark and he asks riddles and wow. i said I'm yeah that's kind of how I feel too and whatever they do aesthetically uh, I'm cool with and I've been, I've been in on that look since the beginning yeah yeah yeah, yeah. It's, I think it's always good to have somebody who um uh isn't as deep into this world as, yeah. as maybe we are you know what I mean because I I I know that I tend to see a lot of the stuff through my own lens obviously which mm -hmm. is I have my own years of constructing my own visual world you know with these characters yeah. so I, I already have these preconceived notions that can sometimes get in my way when I go to when I go to see these movies and so yeah my, my girlfriend is the same she she doesn't really know comic books she doesn't know the the world as as intensely you know and, and she just goes and, and sees it as a movie you know all mm -hmm. these all these she goes she goes to see as a movie so that's a good barometer for me as to whether or not I'm, I'm making a mountain out of a molehill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I meant to say when we were talking about villains, I didn't, I didn't bring up Mad Hatter. I'm surprised that he wasn't included more in this story, considering it's bookended by Lewis Carroll quotes. Yeah. Uh, but also, I mean, it, it works to the limited part that he's in. I'm one that, man, I, I yearn for some more Mad Hatter stories and done in a very, I mean, you could even say a Libra Mayo universe, you know, with that 
kind of approach of uh and it i i just envisioned and maybe matt reeves like i could envision his style now with a movie of like that's one of that's an opening to a movie is an old alice in wonderland kind of setup and you have a mad hatter there or something and like the mad hatter i don't think is a very jokey and uh character i think that he's somebody that can be done really effectively and creepy and i think he's creepy in arkham asylum um so yeah i, I meant to mention that too are you a fan of mad hatter mad hatter there we go I, I, i've never been like super into him as a villain but i think that all these characters kind of fulfill a different type of criminality you yeah. know so you have the Joker, which is, he's kind of just like chaotic crime, random crime, you know, you have Two-Face institutionalized crime, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. You have Scarecrow, which is narcotics. You have, you know, um, uh, I, I like to break these kind of things down into more, I guess, more digestible um, bites to understand the character in a more simple way, you know? Yeah. And so Mad Hatter for me was always a, a, a weird middle ground character where I thought, well, he could kind of be a drug, a, a drug, um, you know, uh, you could lump him in like you could with the scarecrow in a way, but the mind control thing that he does, I, I, I always have had kind of a hard time figuring out how to do that without um, some kind of like narcotic or, you know yeah. what I mean? Mm -hmm. and, and so those, those characters, I just drew him for the first time on a DC villains cover yeah. with a bunch of other characters I'd never drawn. Um, Ray Salgul, Talia. I did, um, I've done very little Poison Ivy. I, I just recently done her more. And those villains are harder for me to, to wrap my brain around, you know? Sure. Like that's where I start to, that's where my brain um, shuts off the realism aspect a little bit more. So like Poison Ivy, I, I take her in a more, more kind of monstrous mm -hmm. kind of territories and, and um, the Mad Hatter too. I, I mean, uh, I just, you know, I tried to just make him look, you know, very, very creepy, but um, yeah, I don't really feel like I have a take on, sure. on some of those, some of those characters. Um you know, but that's the great thing about the world of Batman is that you can easily take almost any of those those um, those villains and really do something interesting with them. You know, there's really not a bad there's really not a bad villain in the bunch. You know, Clayface is an awesome character. You know, just a lot of possibilities. I I like I like pretty much them all. I just don't like Bane. <laughs> he's, the, he's the only Batman villain that I just don't want to have anything to do with. I, I had to draw him once, and I was. Uh, you know. I was going to say that I think in in the your story with Brian in the world was that the first time you've ever had to draw him. Yeah, hopefully yeah. the last. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was that was enough for me. Yeah, it was just uh, drawing that drawing that scene. I was just thinking, like, what are these? I mean, I I know the history of the character, and I know what he's about, you know, this venom steroid kind of um, thing that, that he has going on. But isn't he supposed to be like super smart too? And he's like Batman's superior physically and mentally. I'm just like, isn't that, 
aren't there a bunch of other characters that would be better suited to do the, you know, like, isn't yeah. Ray Sal Ghul essentially, isn't he Batman superior physically and mentally? I don't know. Maybe not, but, but, um, it, you know, Bane always kind of felt like a, it's just very much a product of the nineties. Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think the, the image looks great. Uh, was man bat, was this also the first time you had to draw man bat? I can't think of first time. That one. Did you like that too? Or first do you like man bat? That was cool. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a huge fan of Kevin Nolan and Kevin Nolan did the mm-hmm. secret origins man bat story that has always been one of my favorites. I think, I just think he's a cool, very it's man bats like a kickback to like the universal monster movies to me yeah you know which mm-hmm. is what i think is cool about that character these i love that horror stuff in batman's yeah. world but to me that stuff goes really really well together um you know it's the universal monster aesthetic mm-hmm. yeah you know i think that's what i was gonna say is the aesthetics and almost the atmosphere of it like i can sit I keep going back to the Batman, which, but it makes sense. The, the world, the atmosphere of the Batman the movie is almost three hours, but I mean it, give me three more. Cause just sitting in yeah, that yeah. world and, and I mean, that resonates with comics as well. Um, is, is that kind of world and just like, Oh, just give me some more. Um, I guess to, as we need to march to, I want to respect your time, the, for the Arkham Asylum story, what do you think, I guess, what did you get out of the story as a whole? I, I, I mean, it's cliche, I think, but I really do think the point in the book is just to, to really show the fact, number one, that Batman is um, equally as insane as his, his villains are. But I think the other thing the book does really, it's overlooked, I think, is at the end of the book, Batman's like, you're free. Do what, yeah. you, know, do what you want, essentially. He's, there's an element of um, mental health discussion that is especially now what's going on in the United States and, and um, essentially, you know, it's, we're in the middle of a mental health crisis, unlike we've seen in a hundred years, you know? Um, And I think this book is really an interesting kind of glimpse at, at, at that as well. Um, albeit done 30 years ago, which is this idea of like, is it, um, where does this kind of mental health problem come from and what's the solution? Is the solution, is the solution institution, uh, institutionalization or is it, you know, it's, it's a, it's a complex kind of question. And, and, um, and coming from a character like Batman, whose whole job is to stop these characters and lock them up. The fact that at the end of the book, he was just like, you're free to go, you know, you're free to essentially do, you know, the doors are open, you know, um, uh, Joker just saying, we know, <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> yeah. you know? I, I, I thought that was so, I just thought that was so interesting. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's, um, again, it's, there's this Batman narrative that, I've talked about it a million times. It annoys me. It's the last 20 years of Batman, which is, which is if not more, which has been this um, regurgitation of a Miller version of the Batman character, who is this 
RoboCop-like, um, you know, it's all about justice. I eat, sleep, and, uh, you know, I, I, it's just about the war on crime, mm -hmm. you know? And uh, um, the other more humanitarian aspect of Batman has kind of been left behind, you know what I mean? Which is that um, Batman also has a heart, you know what I mean? Like in earlier yeah. stories, like you see this a lot in the 80s stuff, Batman has a lot more heart in him, you know what I mean? There's, he's, um, he's not just this kind of cold, uh, I'm going to make you eat rats and, and, uh, you know what I mean? That's yeah. not, there's, there's more to Batman than that. And I think that, um, you know, that's, that's something that's interesting about Arkham Asylum is it really, it, it kind of teeters on the line of that where, you know, he's, you know, he walks in and Joker grabs his ass and is like, you know, loosen up tight ass. And Batman's yeah. like, he almost recoils at that, at that act, you know what I mean? And, and you see these kind of two aspects of Batman that then at the end of the book, he is almost flipped over to the other side, you know what I mean? Which I think is, is interesting that Batman's not just this one dimensional, you know, more machine than man kind of, um, uh, you know, uh, harbinger of justice <laughs> you mm -hmm. know I, I think that there should be um, a little bit more uh, uh humanitarian nature to the character um, yeah anyway nice yeah yeah yeah. i think as i continue to because good lord clearly i have not read every single batman comic that's ever been made <laughs> but to go back and look at at the time the the end like the what are you going to say? The watermark, maybe the, that this story puts on Batman's history. Um, nothing like it came before, but I think in the message too, that you just talked about, and I'm trying to find it now, exactly what, um, I, I mean, the, the Joker has the, as he usually always does, he puts the exclamation point at the end of the story. And that, as you just mentioned of, yeah, we know we can go out there. And then he even says, oh, I can't remember the exact quote and I can't find it, but you know, it's almost like you've always got a spot here, Batman, because you belong with yeah. us. Yeah. And that's, and it's almost as if the real world out there, it's like, no, that's the madhouse. Uh -huh. This right. is the safe place. And I think that that is such a good, it's a good point on their relationship. I think of Batman and Joker. It's a good point of what Morrison, I think was trying to say with this book, a good point of how Batman can be viewed from people. I think that, like that is such a big exclamation point to me on the meaning of this book. So though sometimes I got lost in the art of not knowing what to say, I think in the end, clearly it, I, I got enough of it that I wanted to investigate more and read Morrison's script and stuff to where I missed some, but I didn't miss all. Cause I did get that, which is what I almost think the whole point of it, of the story was. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. I think the Arkham, the element of it too is great because this man mm -hmm. who's kind of dedicated life to mental health and then at the end of the story he's like i'm where i belong i'm here with the you know i'm i'm a another inmate in the asylum essentially i thought that was um that was very cool you know the the how how um you know there's the famous what is it the alan moore line all it takes is one bad day 
Yeah. You know what I mean? Which I think mm-hmm. is also another great, great way to talk about Batman. You know, this is just that very fine line between what he does and what these other crazies do. Yeah. Pertaining to this story, I ask uh, three questions of everyone about this story. Um, do you, off top of your head, your favorite part of Arkham Asylum? Uh, favorite part, favorite part, favorite. I, I'm cycling through so many scenes in my in my sure. head right now. There can be multiple. It's not it's not a harsh uh, harsh rules I mean, on how this. Can you not, <laughs> how can you not love? How can you not love the way it ends with Two Face basically? lying and letting yeah. him walk the door and then the shot of him seeing the scarred coin what does he say who loves you you know or something of that nature he makes some line like um i forget what he says exactly who that's, cares that's, for you who cares for you yep. yeah it's just a great ending you know i just really like the way the, the book ends and, and um yeah that that stands out to me I, th- I think for me, it's always been, I can instantly picture the scarecrow scene, which is really funny because it's just him dragging the the rake. But then also that that opening uh, scene with the Joker and the telephone call, because you're just, you're seeing the speaker on the phone and you're hearing Joker, but that's a whole, you're imagining it yourself. And then it ends up being a joke. So I think that yeah. that's just because it was so effective on me. I think the first time I read it, which I think I was like maybe 11 or 12 the first time I read it. So <laughs> perfect age to read this story i guess <laughs> um how about or our parents i i know it, it, funny about it it was my uncle's and we were staying with him so my parents didn't know <laughs> uh how about a favorite panel favorite panel favorite panel favorite panel the big close-up of the joker um one of the initial panels of the joker's you know, as Batman walks into the asylum, there's that big shot of his face, which is just amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It's just incredibly stunning. I've said, I mean, I already said the scarecrow scene. I want to have it a little different. So yeah, I think that that look, that painted look of the Joker was pretty terrifying because that was such a, this is different. Oh, nice. yeah. You know? yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, this is, this is like yeah. nightmare stuff right here. Uh, would you ever like to see them adapt this into an animated movie? I don't know if you're into animated movies or animation or anything, but. I love animation, but I am not a fan of the DC animation. Uh, Okay. I am. I'm not a fan. Okay. I really want them to, um, to step up their game. <laughs> There's no other way to say it. Sure. It's just they, they, they've got, they, they, if you watch what's being done with Love, Death, and Robots, or um, the Blade Runner. I don't know if you've seen the Blade Runner, a Black Lotus. Stuff, no, not yet. Animation show. The, the level of animation has gotten so high out there to see. Batman, which is one of the biggest IPs, mm-hmm. uh, Superman, any of these huge corporate IPs that they have, how can you have such poor quality animation on these amazing properties? I just don't get it. I mean, I, I look at that stuff and I think they must have horribly low budgets. Nobody is wanting to invest in these animated movies. And so when I watch them, they just kind of, 
Um, and I really haven't seen that many. I, I watched a bit of The Killing Joke because uh, I know Brian wrote that. Um, but even that, it's just, it's not even the stories. It's just the animation that gets, gets me. I just can't, I can't look at it. Um, and I hate to say that because it's like there's a lot of people work hard on these things, you know, but yeah. it's just I think that there's a level of quality that in the world of animation has gotten so high that they have to, you know, they have to step that up um, in D.C. as well. It's, it's, it's high time they do that. So, no, I, I would rather them not do that, especially because they, they could never capture McKean's vision. You know, yeah. they, they would need to do a CG animated movie that would cost a lot of money and they would never do that. So um, I like the fact that it's the it's its own thing. It's it's a beautiful graphic novel. I, I'm happy with it. I'm happy with it like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, I'm not I'm not too far from you. I do like um, I do like the like a lot of some of the DC animated stuff. Actually, I like a lot of it to, to a degree, but I don't think I think it's too bright and it would be way too crisp and clean for this story. They wouldn't I think they'd take the wrong message yeah. of, quote unquote, nightmaring it up or dirtying it up or anything. It'd be the wrong the wrong way. I just don't see how that they would capture the nightmarish uh, world that I think that this is kind of created. So, yeah, don't even try yeah, if you can't to me <laughs> yeah it's just strange i think that if they're gonna do animated stuff they should stick to the first tim you know batman animated they should just do multiple movies of that like mask of the phantasm or something you know uh, as opposed to taking kind of a poorer version of that mixed with something else and making you know doing something that was adapted from somebody like Brian Ballin, which is like, you know, that, yeah. the, that movie did not reflect Brian Ballin at all. And I, and I thought, man, if I was Brian Ballin, I would be offended because I would say like, did you guys not look at what I did here? <laughs> like, <laughs> even, like, it doesn't even resemble his stuff. So uh, yeah, it's, it's, um, that's a tricky subject for me. I, I, I would love to see, a DC do some animated stuff that I like, but has yet to happen. <laughs> so do you have any, anything you haven't said about this book that you uh, would like to add to it? I don't think so. I think we covered it. I think we said, we said it all. Oh, uh, the lettering. I'll talk about the lettering a little bit. The lettering oh, yeah, yeah, is yeah. outstanding. Um, yeah. It's it, the lettering too, is something that um, I talked about when we started Batman Dam, because I wanted the floating letters without the balloons, like they did for yeah. the joke. I just thought it was genius. All the characters had their own font. It, it changed the voices of these characters. Um, it, it just added something to the reading experience to me. And, and, um, and I, I think the lettering is maybe underlooked on this book, but it's spectacular. So I don't know if you've seen the 30th version reprint and then beyond the 30th anniversary reprint and beyond they've done, they've outlined. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it was originally outlined in white and now they've redone it and outlined in black. Me. Oh, okay. uh, that helped 
me okay. read okay. the Joker's dialogue. And I know that's really getting into something, but I know I think sometimes a frustrating experience in reading it was because with a book, you can only hold it so close to your eyes. I'm like, man, I can't, Right. I don't know what's being said here. And I think the black outlining actually did help me some. Oh, the, okay. the approach of doing it that way, yeah, I think is is a standout it's a very uncomfortable unusual and different way that comics had ever been done and saying dialogue so i think that that yeah that's a i'm glad you brought that up because i meant to to bring that up as well and again i I, it's it's great hearing from you and talking about with damned so how you said with mckean's like realistic blending and that's you bring into damned i i never pieced that together and i think that's a really cool um the letter definitely i I definitely pointed to arkham for that yeah. because I, I just don't like I don't like comic book lettering that feels kind of cookie cutter I like it yeah. when people adapt it to the artwork you know mm-hmm. so if you're so if you're doing something that has a look that's not quite traditional comics you know which Dan definitely wasn't and Arkham certainly is not it's it's cool to play around with that because the lettering is is part of the art you know it should mm-hmm. be part of the reading experience and um, you know for me comic isn't a comic until it's lettered i guess as soon as it's lettered it becomes a comic you know but even when i'm working on something i'll have the pdf or whatever and all these Mm -hmm. pages i've done but it's totally when i see that thing lettered all of a sudden it becomes real it just takes on life you know so uh yeah it's spectacular i I should get that 30th what is it the 30th anniversary you said or was it yeah that's the and most it, recent it, is the 30th yeah. anniversary. They did an absolute, which now is really hard okay. to find. And so it's very expensive. Um, good mm. luck. Okay. Good luck if you can find someplace that has. <laughs> um, so, yeah, well, yeah, it's been, especially over here, I, I won't find. Now, nah. ah. um, it's been a treat talking to you about this as in uh as I've, I've told you before, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a massive Romeo fan. Anybody who listens to the show knows I, I, I really like your work. It was uh, great a couple of years ago before the pandemic, which seems like so long ago, but wasn't, you know, not even three years ago. <laughs> I got to uh, meet you in person in which you signed, you know, my damned and uh, Batman Noel, which is one of my favorite stories, uh, period. And I want to point out that like this image over here. Oh is one of my favorite images I think you've ever done, which is great because I I like how you said you you bring like a realism factor into it, but it's such a nod to the old stories of Catwoman's got a tiger and Robin tied up. But I think the the realistic approach of how you bring the close up on Catwoman's face is just incredible to me. So yeah, I just wanted to point that out. I just, I love this image in which, no clue if you've ever said this is your favorite, least favorite, or talk, even brought any attention to it. But that one, in a book that is full of, you could say, screenshotted images, uh, yeah. that that one really stands out to me. So I uh, wanted to note that out, because why not? I <laughs> uh, appreciate it. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's good to talk this time without feeling like my head is going to um, explode. <laughs> like, like in Chicago, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. uh, Yeah, Yeah. for sure. Um, In case people do you want to use now to uh, plug anything, how people can follow your work, what's coming up, anything at all? I don't think I can say 
and okay. anything right now, I think that it's probably better not to just because um, I definitely have two projects coming out this year. I just can't say when or what. <laughs> so, um, uh, yeah, I, I should wait. I should wait. But th- I can I can just say that there'll be a couple a couple things coming coming this year. So, cool. um, yeah. Excellent. As soon as I say more, I will. Um, on and you're on Instagram. You usually is that usually your voice of uh, announcing saying stuff? Announcing. Yeah, that's the only that's the only social network I, I have. Um, and I, and and I've been told many times that I don't post enough. But I, <laughs> you know, it's I just uh, I post when I have something new to that's good enough to show, I guess. But um, yeah, it's just I think it's Libremejo Art at, at Instagram. That's the Instagram. Yep. Got it. And I, I know you recently, you've been um, posting your variants on the detective comics uh, covers that you've yeah. been doing and that's coming to an end soon, sadly. So. Yeah. Just, I, yeah. I'm finished with them. So I think I'm, oh, I done. think that um, there's one more that, that that's going to come out one. I, yeah. I think I, I wound up doing 43 or 44 of them. So it's, a, it's been a, it's been fun. It was great run i i um they actually tell a story i don't mm-hmm. kind of i mean it's not really like a sequential story um but uh when i started the run i you know it's detective comics and so i thought what can i do on these covers that's a little bit different and i i thought well i just kind of like to do i had no idea it would go on for so long at the time but um i i thought i you know i thought let's try to tell a loose story with these covers where you could kind of put them together even in different ways. You know what I mean? Like they don't have to be, there's not one right way to kind of put them in order, but mm-hmm. there's certainly groups of them, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it was a fun experiment and um, yeah, it's kind of uh, sad to be sad to be done, but at the same time, uh, you know, 44 or 43 or 44 is a, a lot. Yeah, <laughs> I time to let somebody else come in and, and, and do some good good stuff there but, uh, they look great i hope dc comes up with an idea to collect them because i was too late in the game and i missed the first few of my ocd uh if i miss some i'm i'm a mess so i hope that they can collect them all in some in some yeah. regard so, yeah yeah that would be that would be nice that would be that would be really cool um but you know, it's uh, if I if I can pull something like that off, I most definitely will. It'd be great to get like a collected edition of, of them eventually. And Excellent. Cool. All right. Cool. Well, I I will let you go, and I appreciate you once again for sitting down and talk to me. Um, My pleasure. Ab- My pleasure. About comics, about comics and your work. Appreciate it, Lee. Thanks for letting me ramble. <laughs> <laughs> of course. <laughs> Thanks again to Lee Bermejo, who joins Norbury Fogel as my favorite Batman artist. And he was great to talk to about the Batman, Batman dance. I didn't even think of that connection. And Arkham Asylum and everything. Just a really cool guy. Very kind of him to sit and chat with me. Now, before I go, I mean, this is episode 100, which is a surprising milestone. I started this podcast in March of 2020, and I had no idea where it was going to go or if anyone would listen. But... Here we are, 100 episodes in, 
approaching 50,000 downloads and a long list of great people to interact with about Batman comics. Now with that comes some specific people I want to thank first for giving me a chance and a platform to start out Bill Ramey from Batman on Film. Now Bill allowed me to start writing for the site in January of 2017. We didn't know each other. I'd been a long fan of his and running the and how he ran the site and Batman on Film and he just he put out a, a help wanted ad to cover some comics and he took a chance with me and here I am. I've grown to collaborate with him, talk with him, visit him for a gumbo celebration in Texas and do some great stuff because BOF. It's humbling that I can call him a friend. Also, this conversation with Libra Mayo wouldn't have happened without him. It would not have happened without Bill. So for that also, I'm very grateful. And also now Batman on film led me to this next list, the Bat Boys. Peter Arvera, Garrett Grev, Justin Kowalski, Ryan Haas, Eric Holzman, Likely you've heard their voices on this show. They are the most frequent guests. Then there, to me, there isn't a day that goes by where I don't talk to them. I talk to all of them literally every single day. Now, Pete, he's obsessed with FaceTiming me. So not only do I talk to him, I also get to see him comb that great beard he has going on. Garrett, my Midwest ally, my Texas roommate, a great pal who kindly invites me onto the BOF podcast that he flawlessly hosts. Justin Kowalski, he's a gotta go. Justin has helped me with more than anything. He's helped me with more than anyone knows. Just out of the kindness of his soul, he's also the one who got me podcasting on BOF. He invited me onto an episode to talk about, of course, Batman comics. And that was the first time I got to actually talk to him and Pete via voice. Ryan Haas is the man who shares Ryan Brain. He's the lost Mario brother. Haas and I got to watch the Batman together in the Dolby D-Box. Rody! And what an experience that was. A great time. I've gotten to hang out with him also in Illinois at a place called Burgers and Beers, where we had a burger and a beer. How about that? And also Eric Holzman, the Aquaman, the jock, the Batman Book Club complaint department. Now, Eric extended a kind hand to help this po- get this podcast running. And to quote those uh, delightful aliens from Toy Story, I am eternally grateful. I could keep going. And I know I've left a lot of names out, and I guarantee I would if I kept going listing other names, too. Just know I appreciate all of you for listening, all of you who've come on the show as guests, who follow the show, who interact with me, all of it. I, I really appreciate it, appreciate it. And thank you for listening to the first 100 episodes. And I hope you stick around for the next 100. So with that, make sure you follow the Batman Book Club on Twitter and Instagram at the Batman VC to keep up to date on upcoming episodes. If you want to support the show, in addition to listening, there's a variety of ways you can do that. Just go to patreon.com slash the Batman BC. You can buy merchandise from T public, go to tpublic.com, type in TBBC and you'll have a list of designs and stuff that you can, that you can buy there to support the show. Also go to manscaped.com, get 20% off and free shipping with the code BATBOOK. It's B-A-T-B-O-O-K. But if you want to support the show and don't want to spend any money at all, that's 100% A-OK. Just go to the rate and review page on Apple Podcasts. The link to that page is in the description of this episode. The more reviews the show gets, the more it helps spread the word. And as we all know, the word is panic. So for the 100th time, I am Ryan Lauer. And until next time, read more Batman comics.